get right to it. The number one song in the country is something by someone you have never heard of. Anthony Oliver was forever had alcohol issues, small town guy trying to make it in music. He went viral. Rich men uh, north of Richmond, which is an ode, ladies and gentlemen, to the working class dog. That's right, the working man. It's on the heels of Try That in a Small Town by Jason L. Dean, which climbed the charts, went to number one. Now it's been replaced. And I'm no Casey Kasin, but this is interesting, by Anthony Oliver's smash viral hit. 10 million views on all kinds of social media channels. Over 433,000 new followers for Anthony Oliver. And here's the great part about it. Back in the day, they talked about, Ronald Reagan did, a silent majority in this country. And I think you're starting to see the silent majority step up. We've seen it. Well, we really saw it with Anheuser-Busch, Bud Light still tanking. Apparently, they had a shareholders meeting that was a complete mess yesterday. And now we're seeing it in the music industry with not only Try That in a Small Town angering the far-left crazy people, but of course, we've also seen it now with Anthony Oliver's smash hit. Basically, what the hit does, it highlights the plight of the working man while also highlighting the riches of the folks up north. I've said it forever, $171,000 is the most in salary that Joe Biden ever made before he became president. And guess what? Joe Biden owns a couple $5 million homes. We'll get to Joe Biden in a second. Somehow, someway, the Obamas can afford a $12 million home. Now, I understand they wrote books, and books got big time, big, 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 big time upfront money. But $12 million and a guy dies on your pond and nothing's being said. The world is odd. The world is not so odd, actually. The world is very predictable. The far left runs the media. The far left runs our thought. And the far right gets ridiculed. But you know what? The people in the middle, people like you, people like me, need to stand up and continue to stand up and not let this happen. But it's happening. But it's starting to swing. I can feel it. It's starting to swing. And I don't know what that means exactly. You're still going to be transphobic if you insult somebody that has insulted you. You're still going to be called a racist no matter what if you wear your MAGA hat. So it hasn't swung that much. But the words that people use against us no longer matter. Transphobic does not matter. You can call me transphobic all day. Racist does not matter. Bigot does not matter. It has been used and misused for so long that it does not matter. What matters is that people start standing up. What matters is that people start paying attention to rich men north of Richmond, highlighting the working plights of the working class becomes popular because, look, we're fed up. We're simply fed up. Try that in a small town. I go back to Crown Point, Indiana. I couldn't say it at the time. Of course I couldn't say it at the time, but I could say it now. Crown Point, Indiana, a little south of where I grew up, Maryville, Gary area. I didn't really hang in Crown Point that much, except when I went to go see my boy Pilar. But I did hang in that area. And when the clowns were going through cities, acting like under the guise of Black Lives Matter, they were robbing, they were looting. The fellas in a small town of Crown Point, Indiana, just simply stood on the street with their guns to defend their property. Guess what? The fellas who were chicken blank cowards looting and robbing uh, didn't do jack in the small town. Try that in a small town is absolutely spectacular. <coughs> and rich men north of Richmond, the absolute saints. Speaking of one of the rich men, 
I want you to see this video. This is our president, our decrepit, senile, out of touch, ridiculous president. I'm going to play this video three or four times. The first time I'm going to play it is so that you can hear his no comment. Our president, Biden, was asked by the media, what is your comment on the wildfires that have destroyed Maui? Well, let's watch the president respond. Here is the president's response. The president, we're going to show that again in a second, has no idea where he is. Look at his knees. Look at his face. He thinks he's showing up at like his grandkids' basketball game. Now, how can you possibly have no comment? How are you so ill-prepared? How are you surrounded by, I don't know, it's Veep-like characters surrounding our president that you don't have a statement ready? And the bigger question is, how can you possibly give $113 billion to Ukraine and a one-time, a one-time hit of $700 a piece to families in Maui? Now, I don't give a damn if you don't give any money. That, you know, that's fine. That's you. That's your decision. You're the president. I would like for you to help. But, but, having said that, if you choose to give no money, if you're like, hey, look, you got to dig your way out. <laughs> I don't like it, but that's on you. You're the president. But in no way, shape, or form can you give $113 billion to Ukraine And $700 a family, sure, there's more to it. Yeah, they're bringing FEMA out there. Yeah, they're doing all the stuff that we pay for out of our tax money out to help the folks in Maui. But the payment, ladies and gentlemen. (coughs) See, I have a group of guys that every time I tweet something, they come on and they say something stupid. And it's fun. But the idea of payment, I'm just talking about payment. You know, in fact... Zelensky, the guy over there in the Ukraine, he got so embarrassed by the videos of the Ukrainian people who are supposedly at war, at clubs, at beaches, at strip clubs, hanging out half naked, that he had to reprimand his own people the other day. He had to say, look, we're at war, quit hanging in clubs. We all know what's going on here. I mean, it's no coincidence when you look and you see the money being paid to Hunter and Joe, the big guy Biden, what's happening in return, money's going there, and only $700 per family to American families? I thought this was America first. I thought this was, hey, look, make America great again. Every human being alive should be wearing the hat. I'm buying one. I don't care. Because America is in the toilet right now. We're giving money to Ukraine for crying out loud. And there is a direct link to bribes being paid to the president and his son from Ukraine. A direct link. All you got to do is pay attention. That's all you got to do is pay attention. And guess what? You can follow the money and it's right there. So we Americas are really, really, really in trouble. We are in deep right now. We are in real, real trouble. In fact, we're in such trouble that our sanctuary cities, like uh, New York City, Chicago, Eric Adams went to the, I think it was the Bronx and told everybody this shouldn't be happening in New York City. 
I've asked the White House to help us talking about the border. We're going to get into that with who I think is the most interesting man when it comes to talking about border and fentanyl and the crisis we have on a border. Derek Maltz Sr. is going to join us. He's only been doing this for 29 years. Uh, Dwight Freeney is going to join us as well coming up at the bottom of the hour. Make sure you like, make sure you subscribe. And then, of course, Clay Travis has a new book out. We're going to talk to Clay Travis about the Trump indictment, another one that was leaked before the grand jury ever met. You don't think we're living in a banana republic? You don't think we're living in a place of absolute freaking crime-ridden government? You're crazy. This is insane. Dana White pledged a million dollars to the folks in Lahaina, in Maui. Here's a little video of Dana White. Hey, everyone. UFC President Dana White here been horrible to see the wildfires raging across Maui, causing devastation to that beautiful place and the amazing people who call it home. My heart goes out to all of you who've suffered so much loss, but I want you all to know that you're not alone. The Hawaiian people embody the warrior spirit like no one else, and we stand with you. In that spirit, UFC is going to make a million-dollar donation to support Hawaii relief efforts. We're also doing this limited-edition T-shirt with 100% of the proceeds going to those Hawaii relief efforts. So please visit ufcstore.com today, pick up a t-shirt, and to our friends in Hawaii, we love you and we have your backs. And to everyone else, UFC sponsors, anybody affiliated with the UFC, I ask you to stand up too, donate some money, reach out to me, or buy a t-shirt. Let's all help these people in Hawaii. Thank you guys very much. Now, that's a response. Hey, let's go back and play Joe Biden's response to what's going on in Hawaii. This is inspiring by our president. Look at his knee. Uh, 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 Will you come talk about the Hawaii response, Mr. President? No comment. Where am I, huh? Where's the Metamucil, huh? Jack? Man, compare that inspiration, that inspiring Joe Biden, that man that makes you want to run through walls with Dana White. Hey, no comment. I got to go back to the beach. I got to finish my book. It's a good book. Look at this idiot. Hey, huh? Hey, look at his mouth open. Huh? I, nobody told me. Maui? Mommy? Why? Hi? Hi, how are you? <laughs> Jeez. 80 some million people supposedly voted for that guy. There's no chance in heck. All right, blindside subject Michael Orr has been mad for a long time. He says the Tuies made millions off of his life. The Tuies are saying, wait a second, we got a conservatorship so that you could go to Minnesota or uh, Mississippi. This is getting ugly. This is getting really ugly. Former NFL player Michael Orr, subject of blindside movie, Sandra Bullock, that claims that a central element of the story was a lie concocted by the family to enrich themselves. He alleges Sean and Lee Tui never adopted him. Instead, less than three months after Orr turned 18 in 04, the petition says the couple tricked him into signing a document taking them into his conservatory, which gave them legal authority to make business deals. 
He petitioned a Tennessee court. Yeah, well, that's all well and good. And of course, you know, you see guys like Robert Luttrell of Black Sports Only. This is the narrative of the white savior coming in to get Sandra Bullock an Oscar. That's a real story, man. It's a real story that Michael Orr loved for a long time. It's a real story that Michael Orr paid back by, well, a number of ways. One, he bought the little kid, Tui Jr., a car. They had a loving relationship. The Tuies are saying, hey, look, be careful here. We had to get him into a conservatorship to get him be, to be able to go to Mississippi. He was 18 years old. We couldn't legally adopt him. Now, I tell you this all the time. There's always a backstory, and it always involves money or sex. You ever see a high school coach fired? It's because of money or sex. Always is, always will be, never, ever, ever fails. It is 1,000% undefeated. So now we got some money. That lady there, Lee Tui, is saying, well, you know, we only got 14 grand a piece. One of the kids says he only got 60 to 70 grand. And of course, Michael Orr is saying he didn't get squat. Now, if I'm Michael Orr, I'm not happy with the show either because it kind of paints him as this meek, mild dude that had to be saved by the white lady. And, of course, in the society that we live in, that can't happen because, well, everybody's racist. People that are saying you got to be saved by the white lady, black folks are racist because they don't want a white lady saving them. Of course, white folks saying, hey, look, this is what we do, are racist because it, it, it acts like, well, you can't do anything with, uh, you know, with the white lady. Uh, the world is crazy. Hey, text Clay, will you? See if Clay can come on now. He wants to come on now, I think. He just sent me a text. Anyway, long story short, the deal is really simple. Michael Orr and the Tuies had a great relationship. All right? Money got involved, and now it's a pain-in-the-ass relationship. And frankly, none of us are ever going to know what the hell it really is about. Boom. There you go. All right, this video you're going to see is the future. The video I'm going to show you right now is the future. Trans men, these chicken blank dudes with penises competing and beating a woman, women, and then talking ish about them is the future because the world we live in, you get to build your brand by talking ish. The dumber you are, the more ridiculous you are, the more popular you become. So there's a guy named Ann Andrus, who is a biological male, has a pee-pee, set a record in women's powerlifting. All right? Here's a video of uh, Andy Andrus, or whatever the hell its name is. Um, why is women's bench so bad? I mean, not compared to me. We all know that I'm a tranny freak, so that doesn't count. I know we're not talking about Mackenzie Lee. She's got little T-Rex arms and she's like 400 pounds of chest muscle, apparently. I mean, standard bench in powerlifting competition for women. I literally don't understand why it's so bad. There you go. That's the future. 
That's the future because talking ish. So you're a dude. You're a big, fat, ridiculous dude. You decide you want to be a chick. Good for you. Great for you. Good for you. Live your life, baby. I got no problem with that. But you decide to compete against women. You decide and say, look, here's the deal. I'm going to compete against women. Okay, you go, boy, girl. And guess what? In competing against women, you win because you're a dude. And I don't give a damn what anybody says. Dudes are stronger than women. What are you going to do? All right, that may be offensive to you idiots, but in 99% of the cases, it's true. So now, not only are you winning, but let's look at what some of these transgender dudes have done. Leah Thomas, sporting and supporting Antiva. This dude, Andy Andrus or Ann Andrus or whoever the hell its name is, winning and then just talking ish. That's the future because there's a lot of mental illness in this. There just is. And these folks will have to be dealing with Leah Thomas until she's like 60. I'll be long dead by then. But the truth of the matter is Leah Thomas will tell its story coming up in about 30 years, on how hard it was, maybe in 10 years, how he, how he thought about suicide. We all go, we know the stories. We know the stories. You just saw it with Johnny Manziel. Act like an idiot. Make sure later on, a few years when you're no longer in the spotlight, talk earnestly in front of the camera, talk about suicide, and then we all go, oh, this isn't new. This isn't different. This isn't special. This isn't anything. We will see this out of Leah Thomas. I don't know. Maybe in uh, his case, it'll be sooner than later. You know, I, 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 I contemplated. So yeah, 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 yeah. All the while, though, that makes everything that you're doing okay. You know, that makes everything that a dude participating against a woman winning and then berating the women that he competed against. That makes it okay, because we'll hear this. I guarantee you we'll hear this. Johnny Manziel, it's like a script now. You act a little contrite. You try to be a little bit wild, but contrite. And then you talk about suicide. Uh, You know what? Maybe I'm being harsh, but I don't think so. I think I'm just keeping it real. Yo. Uh, Enos Cantor Freedom has the right idea. My wife has told me this all the time. Said, you want to be the number one analyst at ESPN or Fox? Put a wig on, say you're a woman. I mean, serious. You might as well. But Enos Cantor Freedom says, hey, I think I'm going to put a wig on. I think I'm going to identify as a woman, and I'm going to go dominate. Men don't belong in women's spaces, restrooms, locker rooms, or sports. Since I'm blackballed from the NBA, should I put on a wig, identify as a woman, and start dominating the WNBA? Is that when the outrage will begin? Is that fair to all the women who spent their whole lives chasing their dreams? Where are all the women's rights activists and feminists? Well, I got breaking news for you. Sage Steele, life update. Having successfully settled my case... With ESPN and Disney, I've decided to leave so I can exercise my First Amendment rights more freely. I am grateful for so many wonderful experiences over the last 16 years and excited 
for the next chapter. First call should come from Clay Travis. Should. It should. Love Sage still sending her a text right now. Free at last, free at last. Good God Almighty, you are free at last, woman. See, when I left ESPN, I had to read, my kids had to read, from a really disgusting human being named Greg Doyle and an even more disgusting human being named Dana Bembaugh-Hunzinger that I got fired, that they didn't want me, and it certainly wasn't true. I left because I got a great opportunity here at OutKick to speak my mind. And now you've seen Charlie leave. You've seen Sage leave. You've seen Ed Cunningham leave. You've seen a number of people leave. Now, that's the reality. But liars like Greg Doyle, liars like Dana Hunsaker Bimbo, liars like Matt Galensick, who is the editor of the ND Star, will continue to spew their lies. But those of us that have worked at ESPN, we know ESPN's great to work at. It's great to be an independent contractor for. I didn't work really for ESPN. I was an independent contractor working for ESPN. So I guess I'm having it both ways. But I did know this. When I used to get texts from Norby Williamson about innocuous tweets that I sent that had nothing to do with either race, sex, vulgarity, nothing, inside jokes to friends, I'm like, these people are idiots. But Greg Doyle, the indie star, Matt Galensick, and Dana Hunsaker-Bembo have no idea of that world. They know their little world. So I leave and I've been fired. Charlie leaves because of the exact same reason that I left. You want to be able to speak. Now, Sage has left for the same reason, and really, frankly, hundreds of others have. ESPN paid too well for me while my kids were going to college to leave. I mean, I'm not an idiot. I mean, I know I got to put kids through college, but once my kids were out of college, I was looking for other opportunities. Calling basketball games was nice. Calling basketball games was great. It's fun. But it got boring. I can do that in my sleep. So now, Sage Steele has left. I hope she ends up right here next to me or in her house sharing a show Doing, I don't care, but she belongs at OutKick. It's amazing how many people at ESPN have reached out to me about working at OutKick. It really is. This is no surprise. This is no surprise. Native American groups are saying, hey, we want the Redskins back. Over 100,000 signatures now have been signed by Native Americans. You know, the white guys are saying, well, you stole their land. The white guys are saying, well... You know, it's racist. The white guys are trying so hard because I really don't know why. Is it white guilt? There are a lot of things I feel guilty about. Catholic guilt crushes my soul, but white guilt doesn't. I have any say in whether I was white or black. God said, hey, you're a white dude. I said, all right, who am I to challenge God? You all can challenge God. I'm not challenging God. Native American groups are saying, look, we like the publicity. We like the cash from the gear. We like the fact that the Redskins were always honorable. The song was great. The, 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 the Everything about it, according to Native Americans, they want back. White dude, well, you stole their land. No, shut up, white guy. <laughs> white guy also tell you the WNBA is good. I think I can go get 30 in a WNBA game. 
I'm not mad at WNBA players. They're fantastic. But God dang. (laughs) But good for Native Americans. I would want it back too. I would. I would want it back. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would want it back. Tomorrow we're going to have a spokesman from the Native American organization to talk about this petition. Looking forward to it. Last thing, is there anything I care less about? You do? <laughs> Old Peyton Manning. Oh, he's funny some bitch I ever seen, Peyton Manning. He says, the, we laugh like hell. <laughs> that Peyton funny. I love his damn commercials. I tell you what, ain't nobody funnier than Peyton Manning. He's smart damn quarterback. Omaha! Peyton Manning going back to be a professor. Going back to be a professor at Tennessee. There you go. Some people get special dispensation. You can take off your pants and moon a woman in the training room and get to be a professor at Tennessee because, hell, he's old Peyton. Yeah, he is. What do you say there, Peyton? <laughs> Peyton said, the. It's the funniest damn the I ever seen. i never seen nobody say the like Peyton Banks say the. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, 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 Peyton, he, he, he going to come on. He, 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 you know they won the national championship after Peyton was gone? Seriously? Seriously. Do you, do you know that? Do you know that the Colts with Peyton Manning had all these great players and only won one Super Bowl? Like, I, you know, it, it's amazing. Me. But old Peyton, she's funny. He's so funny. I, t- I tell you what, he said it, and I died laughing. I about died. Oliver Anthony, baby, the song is number one. And it's resonating because, well, mainstream Americans, I don't know what mainstream Americans, we're tired of it. Hey, the Big Ten, really? I'm shocked by this. I love that guy. Look at him. Richmond, north of Richmond. It's awesome. Hey, uh, the Big Ten, the Big Ten is talking to, oh, my God, of all places, Las Vegas about having its title game in Las Vegas. Now, it's been here in Indy, and we've done a great job with it. The Indiana Sports Corp is second to none. There's none better than the Indiana Sports Corp. No, no kidding. I mean, there is none better. And, you know, I've said this forever. I will say this again, and I will never stop saying it. Once the floodgates opened for Vegas, it was coming. It was a tsunami. Whoever decided, whoever decided that we're going to be the first team, and I think it was like the WCC tournament, Gonzaga's tournament. I could be wrong, but it was a couple basketball tournaments that opened it. And then, of course, once the Golden Knights came in, an NHL franchise, that just opened the floodgates big time. Here come the Raiders. Now, Last year, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five, count them, five conference basketball tournaments were in Sin City. Now, if you want to go to Sin City and see a bunch of fatties with thigh tattoos fighting in the middle of a casino, that's your place right there. I personally have no use for Vegas anymore. Too many fatties wearing too short of skirts, tank tops, fighting, thigh tattoos everywhere, Women that look like they've eaten every buffet, just throwing hands left and right. Yeah, I got nothing for it. 
I do like Rio Seco, the golf course, one of my favorite golf courses to play. But having said that, you can have Vegas. You can have Vegas. I'll take Indy. There they are right there. Those are the new beauties of Vegas right there. I mean to tell you, that's what you see. See, Vegas is glamorized. You know, back in the day, leaving Las Vegas, Nicolas Cage, Elizabeth Shue, who at the time was maybe the most beautiful woman in Hollywood, she was a high-priced hooker. It made it seem, okay, seedy, but at least glamorous. Now, that's what you're looking at. My first thing last time, now that's what Vegas should be. Men in suits and ties, stylish, classy, keeping it classy. Joey Crawford's the one you don't recognize. You recognize everybody else, I think. But I got a, a Peter Lawford, Joey Bishop, look at him. Sammy Davis. That's, look at Elizabeth Shue. See, look at, look at Ryan just killing it today. He's all over me. Look, if you want to see fat women with thigh tattoos fighting, holding big drinks at five in the morning. My first vision of Vegas was a big old prostitute boobs out at a slot machine at about 5.30 in the morning when I was getting ready to do the show. Smoking a fatty right there in the lobby of, I think we weren't staying at the Wynn. I forget where we were staying. There you go. There's Vegas. Not some big fatty with a thigh. How many times am I going to say big fatty with a thigh tattoo? It's like everyone's Lizzo with a thigh tattoo. Come on, people. We can do better. We can do better. Vegas, I'm for you. Vegas, I love you. But Vegas, you have become a hellhole. You know what they need to start doing? I'll get in trouble if I say what they need to start doing. They need to start up with... A friend of mine with uh, WIBC said, man... He went out there and he alerted me to women fighting all the time. He's like, yeah, what a seedy, nasty play. There they are for a good time call. Dwight Freedy, former Colt, next. I had a good time with that Vegas riff. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. You know, I was talking to Dwight Freeney, Colts legend, NFL legend, off air, and he inspired me. We belonged to the same golf club here in Indianapolis. It's called Wolf Run. It was like America's hardest course, but it was also America's coolest course. It was last place on earth. You could smoke a cigar inside. The motto was play fast, or if you play bad, uh, excuse me, if you play well, play fast, play bad, play faster. But Dwight Freeney and his group, they always had their own carts. Like Dwight had a cart. His buddies had their, each had their own cart. And my brother and I and all my boys are like, we're going Dwight Freeney today. Get your cart, go to your ball, and let's freaking go, Dwight. Absolutely. Grip it and rip it. Let's get it done. I love it. <laughs> hey, uh, you got a pretty good compliment. Joe, uh, Joe Thomas, obviously a stud left tackle, just went in the Hall of yeah. Fame. You should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't understand what the weight is. 
But he gave you a hell of a compliment vouching for you to be inducted. I've always said players know players. Media acts like they know players, but players know players. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is what we do. This is our craft. You know, we go out there, we play every single day, and we have to prepare against the best. So, you know, I guess the the best measure or test or someone that you want to take an opinion from would be a guy who's played in the trenches or has done it, you know, like Joe's done it. You know, it, we know, you know, who's the dog. We know why this guy was so good. Um, so, absolutely, Joe, you know, he's, he's a great guy. Obviously, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, um, thank you, Joe. <laughs> you know, I, I don't – I try not to get mad about – I try not to get upset about things that I have no control over. So it is what it is. You know, unfortunately, I didn't make it this year. It would have been great, uh, but it didn't happen. You know, life moves on. You got to continue on, and hopefully this year is the year. Yeah, you know, human nature, particularly uncompetitive people, man, it's not like, I don't know, it's not like you compete your whole life and then you shut off that competitive valve. I mean, you want to – be recognized as the best of the best. And that's the Hall of Fame. Do you get disappointed? How do you react as you go through this process year after year? I mean, it's it's definitely um, an interesting, let's just call it, process. Um, I tried hard last year, very, very hard, not to pay attention. Very hard. And I almost got there. I almost got there until I was a finalist. <laughs> and And when I got, when I was a finalist, I was seeing all of the Hall of Fame guys. I was seeing, you know, on a golf course, let's call it Bruce Smith, you know, Michael Strahan, you know, all the guys that I idolized growing up, they're giving me, you know, pep talks saying, hey, it's a, you are a shoe-in. Don't even worry about it. You're going this year. You, you changed the game. You changed how the game was played, blah, blah, blah. So you hear all of that, and it becomes like, hmm, I might actually have a chance. And you start having your emotions start getting connected to it. You're like, oh, man, please give me that call. And when you don't get it, it's just devastating. It it really is. And it's really just because, you know, in your mind, for me, it was like, look, so many Hall of Famers thought I was going to be in there. So many family members and friends, they hit text you and say, you're a shoe-in, don't worry about it. And sometimes, you know, that gets to you. And when, and, and when it doesn't happen, it, you feel, you know, they hit you up immediately. How could they? What's going on? And you just have to figure out yeah. ways to deal with it because you have to live your life, man, and regardless, and you don't have any control over it. So, Yeah, it's like it's a three-prong attack. You're being pumped yeah. up, so you got to talk about that. Well, I don't know. And then it happens, and then you got, yeah. and then the third part is you got to deal with people say that's bullshit. You should have been in, blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> yeah, like, right. yeah, it's, it's terrible. So right when you, right when you think it's over and you don't have to think about it again, then you go to the driving range and you're like, all right, you know what? Let me go to the other end of the driving range just so no <laughs> one bothers me for this week or two. And sure enough. You got the maintenance guy cutting the, the lawn. He, he pulls right up to you. He says, how could they? What is wrong with them? So it's, it's unavoidable. You know, it's part of the process. There's a lot of Hall of Famers, I think, that should have been first. That weren't. 
you know, I think, you know, the big thing is as long as you get in at some point, that's what matters. So. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I, and I go back to what we talked about earlier. Guys that played, no. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, I, I, Mike Chappell is like your biggest fan, the writer here. He's the guy that presents mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, and, you know, he knows, but players really know. Play, players know I had a lineup against that SOB, and he was better than so-and-so that made the Hall of Fame. I know. That's, I always go back yeah. to that. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's players and it's coaches because the coaches have to prepare for that particular guy. You know, it's offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, what they had to do from a game plan standpoint and change everything. So you just hope that, you know, the writers talk to the right people and get the real information about, you know, that particular player. You know, and sometimes numbers don't tell it all. You know, sometimes a guy who has a bunch of sacks, you know, didn't have that type of journey compared to someone who had a little bit less sacks because of maybe how they prepared for you and how the protection was and how you got double team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so many different variables into, you know, I guess you as a player, but I think the players and the coaches, they know best. Yeah. I mean, you did change the game, the spin move, the whole deal. I mean, you and Robert Mathis, Robert Mathis with the strip sack. I, you know, personally, I think you should both be in it. I'm a full disclosure. I did not grow up a Colts fan. I only became a Colts fan. Yeah fan or watcher when I when I got into the media hey I gotta ask you um I took six grand off your boy Michael Jordan playing golf in 1984 when we were in college wow. he, uh, he he was learning to play and I have I was at IU playing basketball and he was there at the Olympics and we got a game on a Sunday and wow. he was talking and he was horrible now, sure. he didn't pay me six grand. He tried to pay me in Olympic gear, like plain pocket <laughs> jeans he got for free, Polaroid cameras. Yeah. So my yeah. first question is, the dude owes me six grand. When you play with him at his course and apparently is set up for him, does he pay now that we're in our 60s? Does he pay it off now? Listen, you don't got to worry about that six grand. You, you'll probably get it right right before you, you know, get off the golf cart and shake his hand. It's probably already sitting there waiting for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's obviously 1984. It was a long time ago. You know, you sit back and long think time. about 80. Yeah, you think about it 20 years ago. No, it's like 40 years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> his his game has gotten he's gotten good, man, and uh, he's a he's a pleasure to play with. How did you end up being his his uh, main partner at the Grove? How how did that come about? Well, it, it's funny. Um, so you know, golf is is a great game for many reasons, um, but one of the great reasons is how it connects people. You know, how people get connected that normally would never get connected. He's a basketball guy. I'm a football guy, you know, um, but I got invited to his golf invitational in the Bahamas. I think it was in 2003 or four. And one of his good friends, um, what lived in Indianapolis, one of his best friends. So, and I was cool with that guy. So after I played in his tournament, okay. And then, you know, I met the other guy that knew Michael. All right. Then it became in the off season. Hey, why don't you call the young boy Dwight, you know, and he can take this trip with us. So go here or go there. So I kind of became friends with him 
early in my years at the Indianapolis Colts based on a rel- one of his best friends there. And then we became really good friends, obviously, um, after that. And, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how it all started. And, yeah, he's just a cool guy, man. He's a real good good guy. It's kind of, you know, weird when you think about it. You know, I grew up watching this guy on TV, idolizing like right. most people had. And all of a sudden, he's my best friend, one of my best friends. Uh, it's kind of weird. It definitely is. Um, but, you know, he's he's a great guy, and we have a good time. Man. Is the course set up for his game? I, I wouldn't put it this way. I wouldn't say that. Really, the golf area in Florida, we don't have a lot of link style golf courses. Okay, there really isn't a lot of link style. There's a lot of lakes and a lot of this, a lot of that. So what he wanted to do was create a place to where it, it, you know, we don't really have availability to go play. Now, does a link style course tend to trend to more of his type of game when he, you know, when he bumps it up and he has a low trajectory shot and just keeps rolling. Absolutely. Okay. But I wouldn't say he sat there and said, Hmm, I want to really kill everybody who plays me. Let's see what kind of course do I want to play? I just think that he was more like, look, there's no courses in the area like this. I I like playing this type of course. Let's do it. I'd always thought I would always heard that, you know, he's a right, he's a left to right player. So every hole kind of the troubles on the left, not the right, you know, all, no, yeah. all this. There's trouble, there's trouble everywhere. <laughs> don't, don't even worry about that. He, he didn't do it that way. He, I know people all would right. want to say he did, but it really his game just happens to cater to that type of style of golf course. But there's trouble left. There's trouble, I right? Know. You know, there's, there's trouble everywhere. Uh, can a normal person go play? I mean, it's a, is it a public? No, it's not a public course, but is it his course? Is it a membership course? What, what, what is it? Are you allowed to talk about it? Is this a, yeah, yeah. a secrecy course? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Soaring the secrecy. Can't say anything. No, it's, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a private course, you know, Michael built. Um, he wanted a course to where as though it was more kind of you know, like both run, you know, you just go out there, have a good time, you know, uh, smoke a, a few cigars, do your thing, you know, and, and just play golf and have a good time. No, not a lot of rules to it. There's, you know, you can do whatever. The only rule is, is don't be a jerk. All right. Just so basically if you're a real slow player and you got a fast group behind you, let them through, you know, just that's, you know, that's really basically the only rule we got. You know, so you can play four, some five, some. Everybody can take their own car. You can play six guys. You can, I've seen guys out there with eight. You know, it doesn't matter. Just enjoy the game of golf. Play the game of golf the way it was designed. You know, just for you to go out there and kind of lose yourself in the game. And and that's just what yeah. it is. But but a regular guy, as long as he's playing with a member, yeah, he can come out. You know what? I that's what I always thought about Wolf Run. <clears throat> that's why I always liked Wolf Run. It was like, hey man. Yeah. Just let the guy through. Don't be an ass. Yeah. Have a cigar. Drink a beer. That's whatever it. you you know. Let's go and don't sweat it. Hey, yeah, don't uh, sweat it. your thoughts on Anthony Richardson and the Colts? That's a big deal across the NFL. What do you think? Well, I mean, they got some work to do. Um, obviously, he's young and quarterback at the quarterback position. Um, it takes some time to develop. 
It, it really does. And depending on the system and scheme that you're in, that's going to depend on how fast you develop. Now, based on what they're doing with him, which is a lot of RPO type of system and scheme, I think it leads to him, I guess, being better quicker because it's very familiar to what he was doing in college, right? And the RPO, running that ball, and all of a sudden you're reading the defensive end or the linebacker, whoever they're going to option, and then going and doing your thing, using your athleticism. So I think he will have a better chance at being good than a traditional pocket passer because usually in the first year if you're a traditional pocket passer that defensive coordinator that he's going to switch so many different looks and do so many different things he's going to have your head spin and yes anthony's going to have to throw the ball he's going to have to do his thing but i think it's all going to be off of run action more times than not unless you have third down and um, he has to make a throw so I think, you know, right now, we'll see. I think they're holding some things back. I, I checked out the first preseason game, you know, and it seemed like they he, he got rid of the ball pretty good. Obviously, that one interception didn't help him. But, you know, you have to learn those things. And, you know, look, have, you can have 10 interceptions in the preseason. I don't care. You know, just don't have them in the regular season. And I think that they have him protected and they can do that RPO stuff. He should be okay. You know, I've always said, I coached for a long time college basketball, and I'm like, you know, practice, you make mistakes. You know, yeah. practice, you're spo- you throw it away, don't throw it away the same way the next time. You throw an interception yeah. in, in football, don't, don't make the same mistake. You know, now with practices being filmed in media, well, he went 10 of 13, seven on seven. Damn, people get in a panic. Just, just it's practice. Make a mistake, right? <laughs> they got nothing to talk about. <laughs> they're excited. They are excited that football is on TV, man. They're, they're talking about how the guys like laced up his shoes. You know, it, it, that's just what it is when you've been starving for the game of football, and it's been like it's been month upon month upon month upon month. You're gonna have. You're gonna gravitate to any story. Period. Oh, yeah, you're 10 for 13 in practice. Who cares? <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, everything is scripted in practice. Defenses are scripted in pa- pra- practice. The guy can't get hit in practice. There's a lot of variables in that practice. Um, but look, it all matters. Like you said, hey, you these are learning experiences for you. You learn in practice. You make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Every quarterback makes mistakes. Tom Brady has made mistakes. Peyton Manning has made mistakes. It happens. You just learn from them. And it's depending on how quick you learn from them, is going to dictate what type of player you're going to be. You hate Tom Brady, don't you? Like, you'd physically beat his ass if he showed up at the golf course, wouldn't you? I mean, it'd be like, Tom, don't even come by me. Don't even come by. Listen, listen. I tried for years before I met the guy to really, honestly, I just didn't want to like the guy. Just because I played him all the time. He was a Patriot guy. Couldn't stand the Patriots. You know our journey with the Patriots. So, you you know, you have this whole thing just built inside of you. Like, if I ever see Tom, I'm just going to give him a little nudge. You know, I better, I, I really can't stand quarterbacks as it is. But that guy right there. You know, he, he's a freaking jerk until you meet him. <laughs> until you meet him, it's like he's just crushing everything that I I, I couldn't even create a narrative of hating the guy. It's, he's a great, he's truly a good guy. 
You know, I respect the hell out of him. You know, he he played the game the right way. You know, he put everything into what he, his craft on and off the field. And he was very successful. He was very successful. One of the greatest quarterbacks who ever played the game. You know, and I have no problem saying that. You know, it's it's just, yeah. you know, when you when you when you when you when you see him, you know, you might have a little flashback from time to time as a Colt, thinking, you know, maybe I can hit him now. You know, there's no ref here. There's no <laughs> offensive line. You know, maybe I can give him a little check now. But uh, no, but he's a good guy. He's a good guy, man. Yeah, that's disappointing as hell. But I get it. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I get, I get. Hey, thanks, Dwight, man. It's been a pleasure. Hope you'll come back. Thank you for the time. Hit him straight. Yeah. Hey, man, I'm gonna try, man. Thank you for having me. You take care. That's the great Dwight Freeney. Hey, look, man. I watched that dude. If that ain't a Hall of Famer, I don't know what the hell is. He changed the game. The spin move, getting to the quarterback. I mean, damn. Uh, again, I go by what players and coaches think. I mean, ask any defensive coordinator what they thought about lining up against Dwight Freeney. You know, our friend Rick Venturi calls him an Ambien guy, which means you got to take Ambien the night before when you're playing against Dwight Freeney. You got to take a little Ambien to see what the hell's going on. My mother's even chiming in. She goes, oh, it's six grand. Now, it's always been six grand. Dude owed me six grand. I can't help it if you don't want to pay nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Hey, uh, we're killing America's youth. We are. We are absolutely killing them. Derek Maltz is the most passionate person. He went in front of Congress. And if you want to know who he is, go to Derek Maltz underscore senior on Twitter. Derek Maltz did an unbelievable job. He's fighting fentanyl. He's fighting what's coming in over our border. He was a former special ops Director, federal law enforcement, national security, public safety executive. I mean, this is a true American. He's coming up at 1030. Clay Travis is going to talk about three things. His book, The Trump Indictment, and of course, the news of the day, which is Sage Steele is leaving ESPN. You know, like I said, the idiots at the Indy Star made it out that it was ESPN's decision to get rid of me. But you're seeing, starting with Will Kane, more and more and more. ESPN conservative voices saying, screw this. Who wants to be around these pack of idiots? I was talking to a very prominent ESPN guy, and he's like, you can't believe what a pain in the ass all these women of ESPN are. You cannot believe what a pain in the ass it is to just go get a little makeup put on you, and these pains in the ass are there yelling and screaming and so needy. And and Sage isn't that. Sage is the opposite of that. Sage is like, hey, look, let's go. Let's do a job. I got a job to do. Let's do it. But all these little pain in the ass women of ESPN, it's just remarkable. But you're, call me whatever you'd like. Do it. Whatever you want to do, do it. All right? Great. But I'm just telling you, look, if we're all created equal and we're all, we judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, and we're all supposed to be on level playing field, then I can call out pains in the ass regardless if they're men, women, black, or white. And there ain't no bigger pains in the ass than the women of ESPN. None. Zero zip. And you know what? Sage Steele's smart for getting out of there. Remember, this is a personal thing. You don't go work somewhere and have it not be put. You got to sit in a green room with people. 
You got to sit all day with the people you're working on a set if you're doing college basketball. You got to be in a makeup room with people. And it's a complete blank show at ESPN. That's why you're seeing people like Will, myself, Charlie, Sage, and many, many others say, hey, man, thank you, but no thank you. Now, would I have left if I didn't have a better offer? Hell no. I got to put people. I'm not ready. I don't have FU money. You throw some FU money at me, then things are on. Things are on. I'd only work here anyway. But the fact of the matter is, look, let's be honest. Let's just be totally honest here. You can't work at ESPN if you have a conservative voice. And the Indy Star and their little writer, Dana Hunsaker and Greg Doyle, they have no idea about any of it. They just write their lies, their nonsense, and away we go. Uh, One good thing out of ESPN is their fake racist, Mark Jones, who has been described by some of his co-workers, white guys, as, quote, whiter than me. Mark Jones got demoted. Mark Jones was on the second team, and this crushes Mark Jones at his soul because he likes to walk around and, quote, chop it up with the players. Mark Jones, nobody likes being more involved with chopping it up and being a part of the scene (laughs) of the NBA than Mark Jones. He got demoted. Mark Jones no longer on the second team. That's J.J. Redick and Richard Jefferson and Ryan Rucco. Mark Jones, he'll claim racism. I'm waiting for the racist show. Bomani Jones, uh, Jalen Rose, and, of course, Mark Jones. It'll be really good. It'll be really fun. It'll be interesting. It'll be glorious. Hey, by the way, Clave Travis coming up at 10 o'clock. Ex-owners of the Marlins, Jeffrey Loria, Blast Derek Jeter. You can't hire former players unless they're special and until they've been way out of being a player. He said, Dieter came in, destroyed the ballpark, destroyed public art. was a horrible thing to do. The colorful tiles, which we brought in from Europe, to me, it reflected the culture of Miami. Now it's all gone because he's silly. Derek Derek Jeter being brought in was a complete shit show. And you knew it would be because Derek Jeter thought he knew everything because he played great and everybody around him told him he was the smartest guy in the room every single day. And when people tell you you are the smartest guy in the room every single day, you don't know what you don't know. That's a part of it. And then you think you know too much. And you do stupid things. And if you're the owner, you got to tell the superstar, hell no. You got to be the only guy in the room that tells the superstar, hell no. You were a player. You're a great player. But if you were the shortstop for the Royals, you wouldn't have been a great player. So now Jeter's on Fox and he's doing well, I guess. I mean, everybody's going to say he does well because he's Derek Jeter. And he gave gift bags to the women he was stupid. So people liked it. Yay, Rod, go fight, win. But the truth of the matter is that isn't on Derek Jeter. That's on the owner, Jeffrey Loria. Would you let somebody that just was a great salesman run your entire company? Of course you would. But somehow we think letting baseball players do things. I got to get squared up here. Letting baseball players 
do things like running an organization a couple years after playing is a good thing. It's stupid, and you got what you deserve. You did. Speaking of getting what you deserved, America's getting what they deserve. A book by Clay Travis. We're going to talk to Clay coming up next. The main man of Outkick. We'll talk to Clay about his book. We'll talk about the Trump indictment, particularly the grand jury decision getting leaked before the grand jury ever met. Now think about that. And Sage Steele, another ESPNer, leaving ESPN. We'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. He beat a boss, ladies and gentlemen. He is the man. You see him on Fox, obviously, the number one radio show in America. Clay Travis, the owner, the man, right here with us. Where are you at? You in Salt Lake City? Where did you say you were with a book tour? Tour? Yeah, I'm in Salt Lake City uh, right now. We had a signing last night here. Um, and then the travel situation was a mess. So I'm going to be flying out to Houston shortly. Uh, I'll be in Houston for like 12 hours. Then I'll be in Tampa, Florida. Um, and then I'll be back in, uh, back in Nashville. It's the American playbook tour. Ladies and gentlemen, you can hear him Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. You can hear all about it. You can get it. You can read it. If people get it, what are they going to read Clay? Well, I hope they're going to be entertained and, uh, and also, uh, educated. Uh, in terms of where we are as a country and where I think we need to go. Um, and uh, also get a history lesson. Um, so there's a lot of different things mixed into what I hope is a very readable book. Um, but basically the outline is uh, America is the best country in the history of the world, in my always humble opinion. Um, and it used to be we argued about whether we believe that to be true or not. Uh, now I believe that a lot of Democrats and left-wingers, progressives, as they would self-style themselves, uh, actually don't believe that anymore. And I, I, I think we've seen that idea uh, infect much of sports, which was the last book that I wrote, Republicans Buy Sneakers 2, which kind of took you through the, the overtake, I would say, uh, or the attack on sports and the meritocracy and American exceptionalism. And uh, this book is uh, is a continuation of that, but in particular focuses on next year's presidential election and what I think the roadmap to uh, a landslide victory looks like. What is the roadmap? Give me give me uh, the abridged version, I suppose, of the roadmap as you see it. Well, I mean, the whole book lays it out, but but I would say basically uh, the Republican Party has become the party that embraces the First Amendment uh, and uh, is opposed to cancel culture and uh, and believes that uh, that that ultimately your identity is not defined by your race, your gender, your sexuality, that we're all much more uh, alike than we are different and that you shouldn't be defined by things that uh, that are cosmetic in nature. And uh, and so to me, the twin evils of uh, of the, the left in this country right now are connected. It's identity politics and cancel culture. Um, and the only way you uh, root out and, uh, and and I would say eviscerate 
from the American body politic, this, these twin evils of identity politics and cancel culture, is by going uh, at, at, it, at it directly uh, and, uh, and, and I think taking up arms at the idea that America is a fundamentally racist country. It's not. Um, but, uh, but a lot of left-wingers believe that, and that underlies their entire uh, political, uh, political belief system. I don't think we've ever seen more corruption than we have this week. Let me explain. The Department of Justice, the man who basically set up the deal, the sweetheart deal for Hunter Biden is now special counsel, I guess, or he is a, a arbitrator in the case. And then yesterday we see a grand jury decision verbatim leaked before the grand jury even met. I'm not sure we've seen more corruption in a seven-day period than what we just saw here, ever. Look, here's, here's the big issue, right? We, we truly have a two-tier justice system where if you are a Republican, then Democrat prosecutors will throw the book at you and will try and lock you up and throw away the key. Um, and that's what we're seeing in New York City, South Florida, Washington, D.C., and Atlanta. Um, and if you are a Democrat, Basically, there are no elements of justice that will even be applied to you. Um, and an easy example of this is in New York City, where Alvin Bragg is currently the district attorney, almost all felonies are getting reduced to misdemeanors. That is, you can do something uh, that is a, a felony in nature, and when the district attorneys look at it, they will drop those felony charges to you uh, down to misdemeanors. That is what is happening in virtually every major American city in the country, but I'm using New York City as an example right now. Uh, what you then see is Alvin Bragg elevated a misdemeanor, which is how he ended up charging Donald Trump on a bookkeeping-related issue. Uh, he elevated a misdemeanor to a felony. So in an era when virtually every felony is being dropped to a misdemeanor, Alvin Bragg decided to turn a uh, misdemeanor into a felony against Donald Trump. The same thing, by the way, is happening in Washington, D.C. on a regular basis. Almost. I mean, we're in the midst right now of uh, chaotic, violent crime in Washington, D.C. and many other cities across the country. But in Washington, D.C., where there are also charges against Trump, they are dropping almost all felony charges, uh, unless you were involved in January 6th, in which case they are treating January 6th cases. If you're a grandma who went into the Capitol with a selfie stick, they're, they're treating you like a, uh, like a serial felon. Um, and, uh, and so we are just seeing the likes of which I don't believe has ever existed, certainly in my life, uh, but certainly not in modern American history in the 21st century in any way, we are seeing a two-tier justice system uh, that uh, they goes after the political enemies of Joe Biden with reckless abandon and simultaneously will almost not punish anyone else at all. It's really amazing. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's actually, it's astounding. The grand jury, what did you think of this? Look, I feel like we, we, we now, with this administration, we can't find anything. We can't find who leaked the Supreme Court ruling. We can't find who had cocaine. Uh, and we can't, we can't find this latest deal, I, who, who leaked 
grand jury or who put this out there. We can't find nothing, Clay. We got no investigative yeah, powers in this administration. For people out there who don't uh, don't know what happened, yesterday while we were live on the air, I think it was around noon Eastern, uh, Reuters reported that there was a, uh, a leak on the Atlanta, Fulton County website, which laid out the charges that Donald Trump was going to be facing. Uh, the uh, charges ended up being the exact same uh, that were later released late last night uh, against Donald Trump. Uh, and what's wild about this, I mean, just really crazy about this, is Fulton County put out a statement saying that the leaked charges were fictitious, and then they ended up being the exact same. So someone somehow managed to put these out, and, and it's significant because the charges came out before the grand jury had voted to indict Trump in any way. So they were already uh, prepared for the charges that Trump was going to face before the grand jury had even voted to indict. Now, the grand jury voting to indict is not some major undertaking uh, in left-wing cities. It's very easy to get people to, uh, to, to vote to undertake these charges. But it is kind of wild to even think about um, that we are in this scenario where uh, in, in the interest of claiming you care about democracy, Democrats are trying to put the chief political adversary of the sitting president of the United States in prison for the rest of his life to keep him from being able to run against the sitting president of the United States. When Russia does that, uh, when Putin does that to Navalny, uh, everybody uh, rightly in America reacts and says, my goodness, this is what happens in a totalitarian state. Uh, this is the same thing that's going on right now uh, to uh, to Donald Trump at the behest of, of Joe Biden. Yeah, it, it's just absolutely stunning to me. It really is. I mean, the, the, whatever. All right. Uh, Sage Steele, the latest uh, to leave ESPN as a conservative voice Will Kane started it. I joined it. Uh, Charlie, a bunch of others that a lot of people don't know. But Sage is the latest. She settled her lawsuit. What say you? Well, I say good for Sage. Um, I, I, I give her credit for standing up. For people who don't know the background of this story, uh, Sage Steele went on, I believe it was Jay Cutler's podcast, uh, and yep. answered a question about uh, about the COVID shot, which was mandated by Disney for all employees. And Disney obviously owns ESPN. And Sage Steele opined that she did not think it made sense to mandate the COVID shot, given uh, the fact that many people had already had COVID, uh, that there were a wide variety of different uh, health-related issues that, that as many employees as Disney would have. Some are young and healthy. Others are elderly and not uh, not particularly healthy. In, in any company, you're going to have a wide variety of health outcomes and ages. And uh, I thought what she said made 100% sense. And by the way, she was right as the continued fallout of the worthless COVID shot continues. Um, and, uh, and, and to me, uh, you should be able to question the choices that your uh, employer makes. And so uh, Sage Steele publicly questioned the choice of her employer. 
she did it on an outside, you know, of work, of, of, of interview with Jay Cutler. And uh, according to her lawsuit, ESPN suspended her when she said that. And simultaneously, ESPN is allowing many different left-wing uh, political commentators who uh, claim to care about sports to share as much as they want uh, when it comes to, uh, to, to those issues, uh, sometimes on air, uh, as when ESPN had a moment of silence, for instance, about the Florida Bill of Parents' Rights during the women's uh, NCAA tournament. So it's one thing to uh, to use resources of the uh, of of ESPN. If uh, you know, if I, as I've said for a long time, if when Kirk Schilling got fired for his private political opinions about transgender bathroom issues, if he had been on Baseball Tonight, uh, Dan, and they had turned to him and said, "Kurt, what do you think about uh, whether or not the Red Sox should have pulled their reliever in the sixth inning there?" And he said, well, I'll get back to that in a minute. But first, let me tell you all about what I think about transgender <laughs> bathroom laws in North Carolina. Uh, during baseball tonight, I would say, you know what, ESPN has a very valid claim uh, to be able to uh, to hold Kurt Schilling accountable for what he said on the air that had nothing to do with his job to analyze baseball. Uh, but uh, that's not what he did. You know, he analyzes baseball on television. He's good at it. And uh, and then otherwise, he is sharing his public opinion uh, with a variety of different issues outside of work. And this is what everybody used to do in a pre-social media era. And so I think one of the big precedents that is broken and that we need to fix and that is fundamentally wrong is this idea that is out there that if you share an opinion which your employer may not like outside of work, uh, that somehow you're accountable for that. Um, I just think that's absolutely broken precedent, and uh, there's no way to justify it. Have you paid attention to the Oliver Anthony song and how it's rising? I have. I've seen it. I listened to it. Um, and I think it's part and parcel, frankly, of the way that conservatives, and I don't even think it's fair just to say conservatives, because you know, at OutKick, I think OutKick serves 80%, maybe 85% of sports fans. Everybody who basically isn't a far left-wing loon uh, can read OutKick and probably agree with most of the things that are up on our site, crazy things. I know, like, hey, men should compete against men and women should compete against women. But, uh, but people who are not far left-wing, right, because the far left-wing boycotts get a ton of attention. Everybody wants to focus on them. Uh, the media likes to uh, likes to treat them as if they're really impactful. And the reality is this woke boycott universe from the far left has almost no impact. And in fact, the impact is actually the opposite of what it thinks it is, because the impact actually leads to, for instance, Jason Aldean, try that in a small town, surging all the way to number one, right? The greatest Billboard Top 100 hit that Jason Aldean has ever had in his career. And, uh, and, uh, and I think you're seeing this now with the uh, Richmond, North of Richmond uh, uh, song. But also, I think it's part and parcel of what happened to Bud Light, what's happening to Disney. People who uh, are anything other than far left wing, so the 80% Americans who are still sane, make choices to buy uh, or, to, uh, or to not buy products 
based on whether they think they're respected by the people who are selling things. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think that that's a story that should be told, which is that conservative, uh, and, and again, I'm defining conservative broadly as anything other than woke, uh, the anti-woke community that it goes out and purchases is actually the powerful one. Here's something for everybody out there to think about. Can you even think of a left-wing boycott that has worked? I don't mean like where you try to get advertisers to pull off ads and stuff like that. I mean a left-wing boycott that has actually led to people not doing things that they otherwise would have done. Uh, I can't ever. Uh, you know, a good example would be the NAACP and uh, I think like, uh, you know, the LGBTQ, whatever. They claim that they're boycotting Florida, right? Florida keeps setting record highs for uh, for for vacationing. And many of the people that are going there are black and gay, right? Um, it, so even the black and the gay community are not listening to these organizations claiming to speak on their behalf. I can't even think of a left-wing boycott that has actually been effective in terms of changing the uh, overall uh, success of something. In fact, a left-wing boycott is actually the best thing that could happen. I wish I could get a left-wing boycott of my book. Uh, It would be the best publicity that I could ever get and would guarantee we'd sell even more copies. You know, I was thinking the only thing where the woke that canceled – uh, Kevin Spacey. I really liked House of Cards with Kevin Spacey in it. I didn't like House of Cards without Kevin Spacey. Yeah, right. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, you know that. Oh, yeah. By the way, Kevin Spacey saying, didn't get very much attention, but he beat all the charges. So, uh, right. like all the charges that were brought against him, I think it was in a British court. Uh, he was not guilty of everything. Um, and uh, between that and Johnny Depp, we've had two super uh, powerful and successful actors who have both beaten me too uh, in uh, in a courtroom. Uh, I'm going to, last thing before I let you go, I'm going to, before I ask you, I'm going to give you my thought on it. I, I, I felt like Biden, and I'm starting to feel this way in my soul, like Biden is, and this is nonviolent crime division, although you can make an argument. I'm starting to think that Joe Biden is the is on the Mount Rushmore of worst human beings in the United States. And again, I go nonviolent crime division. There are people doing horrible things to children and everything else. But I got to tell you, when I saw him yesterday, not know where he was, hadn't been briefed, looked like a thousand year old man waving to his grandkids and saying no comment on the whole Maui thing, then given $700 when we're giving $113 billion to Ukraine. I got pissed, Clay. I got, I got internally pissed, and I normally don't. Normally, I get like, all right, and then I have an opinion. But this pissed me off inside my very being watching Biden yesterday, Clay. Well, I mean, here's the problem, right? And he, his response on Hawaii was awful. Um, and the fact that he's not able to just answer a basic question without a teleprompter being briefed is uh, obviously a sign that he's not very well plugged in. But regardless of your politics, Joe Biden does not have the physical or mental ability to be president of the United States. I don't think he has either. Um, And that should scare everyone out there, regardless of what your politics uh, are, because we don't know what challenges on any given day are going to emerge that the president of the United States is going to have to make a decision. He's going to have to analyze all the information out there. He's going to have to contemplate it and he's going to have to come to a decision. 
Uh, do we feel like Joe Biden has the mental or physical ability to do either at a high level? I don't. And I think there's ample evidence that he doesn't have that ability. And that's why it's reckless that he ran in 2020 and that he's president now. It's indefensible that the Democrats would be trying to run him again in over a year from now uh, when I sadly question whether he's even going to be able to live long enough uh, to remain president of the United States if he were to win in 24 to serve out the length of his term, considering he'd be 86 when he's done. Yeah, you got to be a stone idiot to even think about voting for that guy, or you got to be my empty lot next to me that no one lives at, and they just put it in there. Hey, Clay, keep killing it, man. American Playbook, thank you for the time today. Keep killing it yourself. Appreciate it, my man. Keep up the good work. That's the great Clay Travis, Outkick founder, American Playbook author. It'll be a number one bestseller because Clay's right. 80% of people out there absolutely love what Outkick is all about. I mean, how can't you? It's just common sense. And we show pretty girls. Yeah, that's right. We show Livy Dunn. We show Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah, we do. We show Heidi Klum in a spring bikini. We give you everything you want. We give you unbelievable political and sports talk. We give you a social media discussion. We give you updates on everything that's going. We give you insightful columnists that aren't swayed by bigotry, bias, or we really like this guy, so we're going to defend him. That's why 80% of you like it. Let's show what we were talking about, fellas, if you don't mind. Here is yesterday. Here is our president. No comment. No commenting on the horrific, devastating, life-changing wildfires in Maui. That is it. No comment. Hey. See, I'm starting to get old man face, and I don't like it. My father used to say, close your mouth, you'll catch flies. Then he used to say, give your chin a rest. Hey, Dan, give your chin a rest, will you please? Give your chin a rest. All right? All right? Just give your chin a rest. Okay. All right. Hey, the Cavender girls hate weak men. They hate weak and soft men. There you go. The Cavender twins, the two little girls that played at University of Miami to take their clothes off for money and hug on each other. And, and uh, you know, Haley says, my biggest red flags, God, I have a ton and ick. Our dad was super tough on us growing up. I can't stand any sense of softness in a man. If you're emotional or, or a lot, I'm not at all. Yeah. There you go, girls. There you go. You go, girl. So quit whining, guys. You want hot women? Walk like a man. Why do you think I've dated hot women my whole life? I walk like a man. Jesus, you guys and your little whiny-ass stuff. Stop being a little whiner. I got a guy yesterday. He criticized me. I made fun of him, and I got some bigging down in Franklin, Indiana on my ass. I came right back at her. I'm not messing around. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 
Don't at me about it either, people. And by the way, the best speech that I have heard in front of Congress was uh, my next guest coming up here at, oh, I don't know, 1030. His name is Derek Maltz Sr. You want to see Derek Maltz Sr. You do. You want to see Derek Maltz Sr. Hey, I got five movies, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to them right now, Dylan. My five top sports movies. Five. My number one is going to make you go, what are you talking about? Number five, Caddyshack. Yes, it's a sports movie. It's about golf. I was a caddy. It should actually actually be closer to number one. But it's number five, for whatever the reason. I liked it. A lot of lines from Caddyshack. Very rarely do I remember going to see a movie that long ago. But I remember going to see Caddyshack, and I loved it. Number four, Hoosiers. I know. I know we all wax philosophic. Oh, I loved Hoosiers. Go fair. Oh, Mrs. McGillicuddy. I, oh, go fair. There's a lot of lines from Caddyshack. Don't at me about it. Number four, ladies and gentlemen. Hoosiers! Who, who, Hoosiers? No, here's the deal. I liked Hoosiers, but I'm not into Southern Indiana. And I got to tell you, the whole Milan thing has wore me out. Milan has a museum. Milan this. Support Milan's museum. I don't give a damn. I thought Andrean's run in 1980 was a better run than Milan. We didn't get to the state finals the year before. Andrean had never even won a regional. And we get to the state finals, losing in an epic way. It's a better story, and I'm tired of Milan. I've had enough. Number three, Rocky. Everybody always forgets Rocky. Number one, Rocky inspired a generation of young men like me. It inspired a generation of young men to eat raw eggs, run upstairs. It did. Get punched, get up, get punched again, get up and start swinging. It did. And if you don't think it did, I can't help you. Hoosiers inspired nothing. I shouldn't even have Hoosiers on my top five. Rudy sucked. That guy was a douchebag in real life, Rudy Rudinger. That movie sucked. Uh, I was in a movie. What was it called? Blue Chips. That movie sucked. But Rocky was great. I'm talking about movies that inspire. I'm talking about movies that make me want to go do something. And if you're my age, Rocky and the Rocky song immediately made you run upstairs. My buddy Kevin Page had a wood log on his back. That's right. We ate raw eggs. We got up at 5 in the morning because of Rocky. That's why you watch a movie. That and to see, I don't know, Jessica Elba take her top off. But, hey, that's a different type of movie. Number two, Moneyball. I watched it last night. I just happened to be flipping. I was so tired after the show yesterday. I just happened to be flipping channels, and I saw Moneyball. I asked my son, who's staying here for a few days, I said, hey, man, you like Moneyball? He goes, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. I'd seen it a few times. This time I delved into it. I could do it out the little girl story. I didn't need that. And her singing, it was cute. It was great. Yay, Rod, go fight, win. But Moneyball was really interesting to me, really interesting to me. And the fact that uh, Brad Pitt chewed tobacco, was a fitness guy, and always looked like he was getting over on somebody, I was digging it. My number one movie is going to surprise you. But I really, really, really liked Bad News Bears. It came out in 76, I believe, right when I was playing Little League. 
It spoke to me. We had a coach, his name was Steve Hominy. He was the anti-Walter Matthau. He was a badass coach. He was great. We won everything. But we had a cast of characters. We had Jimmy Bistro. We had uh, a guy we, <laughs> we call Spongy, Greg Knoll. We had Danny Massingale in his screwball, and we always thought he was on steroids at 12 years old. We had a cast of clowns. We had some great dudes. And I loved it. I loved everything about Bad News Bears because Little League Baseball was my life. Couldn't wait till it started. Hated when it finished. Loved walking into the into the uh, Junedale Little League in Gary with my freaking Roma pizza jacket. Loved getting a hit, getting on base. And one of our little bat boys ran out the jacket to me because I needed a jacket to run the bases because I was a pitcher. Loved it. So Bad News Bears is my number one all-time sports movie. Don't be afraid to share yours. We'll be right back. Derek Maltz Sr. coming up, and you're going to love it. Absolutely love it. I'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Uh, those of you that watch this show know that I can get fired up. I got fired up this morning. Derek Maltz Sr. got me fired up. I was watching him in front of these clowns in Congress going off on the policies of Joe Biden. And that fits with what we have talked about and had people on this show. It's not necessarily the police or a wall or no wall. It's the policies of the Biden administration that are absolutely crushing us Uh former director of special operations of the DEA, 28 years in service to America on border DEA and you name it, he's done it. The great Derek Maltz Sr. joins us. Derek, thanks for the time. You went in front of Congress. You did not hold back. You exposed those guys. And I thank you for that. It got me jazzed up today. Well, thank you, Dan. I'm always jazzed up. You know why? Because there's an army of families around America that are fighting to save other kids' lives as they bury their loved ones, some of them as young as 12 years old. So as you can see behind me, you know, these are some of the families that I support because kids are dying. There's like 9,000 kids a month dying from drugs. The problem, Dan, is America thinks this is the same old drug problem. This is a poisoning of America. China is involved working with the cartels. And right now, because of the wide open border, the cartels are operating with impunity and are dumping this poisonous substance all over our communities. So we need more leadership out there. And that's why I sent you the story on Logan Webb, because I need athletes like that to step up and talk about this historic crisis. So thank you for having me. Why are people so uh, afraid to talk about this? I got pissed this morning, six times the money going to the Ukraine, then on the border, then on fentanyl. I thought this was supposed to be America first. This is America last, and this is America death. Right. So, Dan, great question. Part of the reason celebrities, role models, 
uh, you know, social media influencers, professional athletes are not talking about it because they don't understand it. This is not about smoking weed. This is not about an opioid pill that kills you. This is about a poisonous substance that come into the country every day from Mexico. China started this madness with the synthetic drugs, which has been a game changer. But then, like right now, if you're paying attention with the xylazine, the, the animal tranquilizer that's going into the fentanyl all over the country, it's causing necrosis. It's rotten human tissue. But the athletes and the, and the celebrities need to understand this because all Americans are at risk. Like I say, it's not a red or a blue issue, Dan. It's a red, white, and blue issue. All Americans should care. But you're right. This prioritization is whacked out right now. It's twisted. We want to spend, 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 send money to Ukraine. President Biden actually threatened Russia that if they use chemical weapons, there's going to be big, big consequences. But here's my question to the president. What about the chemical weapons that China and the Mexican cartels are using every day on our kids and we're doing nothing? We're not even talking about it, Dan. In your opinion, what needs to be done to secure our border? Well, it's real simple. Listen to the experts that secured the border under the last administration. So as an example, I'm no border policy expert, but all my friends from Homeland Security, Tom Holman, Mark Morgan, Rodney Scott, Jason Jones, these guys ran border security programs. So you have to, first of all, you have to start up immediately remain in Mexico. You have to stop the fraudulent asylum claims. Does everyone in America realize that 90% of the asylum claims are false? These people are scamming the system. You also have to end catch and release. Catch and release is the, is the game changer. They know if they get here, they're going to be released, and then they're never going to show up for court, and they're taking over our cities. The problem, Dan, is that the public doesn't even understand there's a big difference between these poor migrants that are trying to get to America for a better life then the gotaways, the 1.7 million gotaways coming from countries around the world, paying the cartels a much more significant amount of money. And we don't even know who they are, where they came from, what they're doing here, what their intent is. But Dan, let me give you a piece of information that a lot of people don't know. The DHS leadership is not publishing the gotaway numbers. The only reason we know about them is our friends on the border that are trying to secure America are leaking that information. So why isn't the president or the Department of Homeland Security telling the public how many gotaways are coming into the country? That's the most important statistic. And every month when CBP produces statistics, this is one that's been omitted. So why? Well, you know, you mentioned China. The people coming over here, um, there's two things with it. Yeah, there are some that are traveling a long way. And unfortunately, a lot are dying coming over here. And the second part is, you know, China's putting a lot of people in place here. Are they not? I mean, the people that are coming in from China aren't exactly Nobel Prize winning uh, Mother Teresa type people. These are people with an objective here in the United States. Right. Great point, Dan. So right now, just so you know, it, so far through June, in, in what's that, 10 months or nine months of the fiscal year, there's 14,655 Chinese nationals that have been apprehended by Border Patrol illegally coming into the country. Most of them are military-aged men. So the question for anyone in America is, why are they coming here? And then ask yourself, how many Chinese military-aged men 
are in that 1.7 million known Godaway number. We don't know how many are here. Now, I will say, in my professional opinion, doing this for many years, my father was in the DEA 30 years, my brother died in Afghanistan fighting for the country. What I'll tell you is this. I believe this is unrestricted warfare led by China using synthetic drugs, poisonous chemicals to destabilize and destroy America. But what they're doing is using the Mexican cartels to do the dirty work. So they're very smart. Once again, we're being outsmarted by our adversaries. And keep in mind, for anyone that thinks that's a conspiracy theory, China wants to destabilize and destroy their adversary. They're going to use all tools in the toolbox to do it. So what better way than use deadly drugs? Mike McCall, Homeland Security uh, former uh, director, said the greatest foreign policy for China is to sell fentanyl in America. Now, think about it, Dan. Like, I can see you got good common sense, right? You don't have to be a border or an immigration or a cartel expert to understand how is it possible that we're losing 300 kids a day and the White House is silent and they're still sending billions for harm reduction, encouraging drug use? What about destroying the cartels? What about putting pressure on Mexico? What about using the greatest military in the world to help Mexico go after the cartels? You know, what, one of the things that I, I, I got to ask, because common sense apparently has eluded the Biden administration, why are they okay with this? And silence means they're okay. Kamala Harris is, is just completely useless as a borders are. Why, in your opinion, is this administration okay with this? Well, that's the million-dollar question. I mean, the best guess I can make is that they want the votes, and they believe that by bringing all these poor people into America, they're now going to have allegiance to the administration, so they're going to vote. And the Republicans could never win a re election between the anonymous voters, the mail-in ballots, and now this new uh, demographic that's coming in from around the world. And by the way, Dan, to make it clear, we're not talking about just poor people from Central America and Mexico. We're talking about 160 countries. So, yes, it is an invasion on our cities. Look what's happening in New York City. Total disaster zone. People sleeping on the streets, urinating on the streets like San Francisco. So the, the answer is, I don't understand. So let me just say this one thing. President Biden in December of 21 made a statement how international drug trafficking uh, is basically an extraordinary, unusual threat to our national security. So the question to the president and to the borders are, so how is leaving a wide open border helping uh, the American public? It's enhancing, it's facilitating the cartel's ability to destroy Americans. And the only ones that are winning are the corrupt government officials in Mexico, the Chinese Communist Party and the criminal networks, and of course the cartels as they're building a billion dollar enterprise. That's the reality. Again, uh, how is this America first? And you're not even talking about, we're talking about fentanyl. We're talking about kids dying. We're not even talking about human trafficking and all that's right. going on with human trafficking as we open the border. Right. So basically, by opening the border, you're giving the cartel a, another revenue stream. You know, they were already making billions of dollars off the drug trafficking for many years. Now you've expanded it to sex trafficking, human trafficking, and some of the stuff that goes on on the border is like now with this, this uh, the wristbands. They're giving wristbands to little babies and to their mothers and fathers because they're indebted 
This is modern day slavery in America. When they get to America, they then have to send money back to the cartels. And we're not talking about 50 bucks. We're talking about maybe 1,500, 2,500, 5,000, depending on what country. The other thing is I was recently interviewed on Fox with Laura Ingram regarding the retail theft operations in America. They're saying people have reported that the cartels are controlling that. Well, what's really happening is these, these indebted uh, you know, migrants get to America. So of course they got to get involved in crime because they got to pay back the cartels or their families are slaughtered in Mexico or these other countries. So it's a disaster, Dan, every way you look at it. And shame on the average American that has a good family, that believes in rule of law, that believes in God and church and country. This is a crisis that we've never faced in the history of this country. And the biggest reason is China's influence. They're doing all the money laundering now for the cartels. Nobody even talks about that. They're buying land in America, real estate, using the cash that they're picking up all over the country from Chinese kids. These kids are here on visas. They're on their work and picking up cash. The brokers from China are in Mexico City. They work with the cartels and they're picking up money. So, Dan, just so you know, here's the State of the Union, in my opinion. The Homeland Security alert system has to be put in, back in place, and we're at severe right now. We're in red. How did that not? How did that go out of place? How did that go away? Well, because everyone got complacent. That's what happens. You know, you put certain policies, procedures, and laws in place, but the bad guys are so complex and so sophisticated. Right now, I can get your head spinning if I explain to you the Chinese money laundering scheme. U.S. law enforcement can't keep up with this. They're using the encrypted apps. They're moving money on their banking apps in China. They're sending consumer goods to Central America, Mexico, South America, and they're selling these goods for such a profit. So the Chinese business people are also making money as our kids in America are dying. Remember, if China's providing all the chemicals, and they're providing the money laundering services, that's elevating the cartel's ability to kill Americans. So how is this something that's under the radar? And why are we talking about just fentanyl strips and you know harm reduction capabilities and giving out crack pipes? Go to Philadelphia, Kensington, and see what a war zone it is. Go to San Francisco, go to LA, go to Baltimore. These poor Americans are on the streets with these big ulcerations in their skins, they're sitting there dying in the streets. Some of them are veterans, by the way. But yet we're giving billions to Ukraine, right? A war on the other side of the world. And again, I'm not a war expert, so I don't want to be critical of spending on that effort. But prioritization is twisted. That's what I would say. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, nobody knows more about this or speaks more passionately than you, Derek. And thank you so much. Hope you'll come back. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, inviting me. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. But please help me with no, the athletes. Good. We need the athletes to step up. They got to understand the issue. That's the first thing. Thank you. I will. I will absolutely do that. This is a massive issue. Thank you, Derek. This is a massive you, issue sir. across our country and it's killing our kids. And I don't get how anybody thinks this is not going to affect them. I'm sitting in my house here in Indianapolis, and I guarantee you at some point it's going to affect me, whether it's immigration uh, pouring in on our cities. Indianapolis, downtown Indianapolis, is an absolute blank hole. I was going down there for 14 years every day, 
Every day, Monday through Friday, I would go down there. The BLM riots came. Biden got in, and now we don't have a downtown. We don't. We don't have a downtown. We got people doing drugs in the middle of Monument Circle. We got people defecating all over the place. In fact, my boss, Jeff Smolian, in our uh, parking garage right next to Buca de Beppo, he had to put a security system in because people were walking in, taking a dump on his car and others. It's a mess. And it isn't going to stop until we do something like what Derek Moltz said. We get our policies back. We get our government, our leadership in government, certainly not our police, certainly not the people that are defending it. They're doing everything they can. But the whole deal is on the policies, the difference in the policies. One is tough, uh, Donald Trump. One is weak, Joe Biden. Let me ask you another question. On what is Donald, or excuse me, on what is Joe Biden strong on? Like, what's he strong on? What's he tough on? Uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't understand how, I, I really don't understand how anybody could vote for this guy. I don't understand how you can be happy paying taxes. I've never not wanted to pay taxes. I, I've always thought it was my duty, no problem. But now I see $113 billion going to Ukraine and relative peanuts going to our border. Look, I'm going to say this again. Y'all can get mad at somebody wearing a MAGA hat, but make America great again. A slogan started, by the way, by Ronald Reagan, enhanced, I guess, by Bill Clinton, used by Donald Trump, and all of a sudden it's racist. No, we've got to make America great again. We've got to take back our country because this bullshit of America first is exactly that, complete and other Bolshevik. I'm just saying. I mean, that's the way I look at it. I mean, I'm just sitting here telling you, hey, look, I don't know what to tell you. But until we get somewhere, somehow, some people that have some common sense. Let's get back to sports. I'm going to get too fired up. I'm going to yell. I'm going to scream. I'm going to just lose my ever-loving mind. A couple of things. (laughs) Man, it just pisses me off. And I don't know how it doesn't piss off every American. I honestly don't. I, I don't. Look. Uh, let's get to something happy. Indiana women's basketball or uh, Iowa women's basketball season tickets are sold out. Why? Caitlin Clark. And she's a stud. You know, Angel Reese is a stud. She's taking off her clothes. She's making money. That's what women athletes do now. They take NIL money. They show themselves looking seductive in a bikini and they get a bunch of money. Caitlin Clark has been out there balling. The Clay- Caitlin Clark effect is, oh, so real. Oh, so real. Those of you getting ready for fantasy football, I feel you, baby. I do. I feel you. Uh, Here's the deal. The general manager of the Oakland, or I guess the Las Vegas Raiders says, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. We're going to get Josh Jacobs done. So if your fantasy draft is coming up, and I know it is because I got a lot of cameos I got to do for different drafts around the state of Indiana. People get on Cameo and they want me to do their draft order. They want me to make fun of the guy that came in last place. But don't worry about it, people. Don't sweat it. The Las Vegas, and I'm going to say that right, there are two things I screw up. Darius, not Shaq Leonard, and Las Vegas, not Oakland. All right? I screw those two things up. Uh, Well, the GM says, don't worry about it. Josh Jacobs is going to be our guy. He's going to be fine. Dave Ziegler says he's going to be fine. Dave Ziegler came over from the Patriots. Dave Ziegler is going to be fine. 
Hey, Justin Verlander was called a diva yesterday. Did you see this? Justin Verlander was called a diva. I've been looking at Mike Greenberg uh, cheering on the Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to get to Aaron Rodgers and Robert Sala Sala in a minute. But uh, no, Justin Verlander responded to being called a diva. Justin Verlander did not like being called a diva. I want to say that I have nothing but respect for the Mets organization. Enjoyed my enjoyed connecting with all my teammates this season, new and old. It was truly a wonderful group of people. That being said, we all know the success of a team is made up more than just the players on the field. Sorry, everyone's input is valuable. I'm sorry to hear that a staff member took offense to constructive criticism on how we could improve. Wishing nothing but the best to the Mets moving forward. All right. Well, there you go. What's the problem? Justin Verlander probably has earned the right. I would think he's earned the right to be critical. I would think he's earned the right to if, in fact, he did give constructive criticism. But we all know if you've been in the workplace, we all know how that goes. Constructive criticism is it's an attack. You're attacking me. You're, 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 you're attacking me. <laughs> what? We all know that's the way of the world, and we all know it's not going to stop any time soon. I did. I'm sorry. You guys can get mad at me, but my favorite sports movie of all time was Bad News Bears. What do you want? What do you want out of me? Kelly Leak, baby. Everybody had a Kelly Leak. The Wild Child. That was Joe Dixon. Joe Dixon was kind of the wild child. Played at East Glen. Joe Dixon hit a ball a thousand feet. It was wild. It was nuts. It was great. What are you talking about? Leave me alone. I liked it. I'm not mad at it. You guys got all your little movies. How could somebody from Indiana not like Hoosiers? Didn't say I didn't like Hoosiers. It's my fourth all-time movie. What are you talking about? What's wrong with you? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we got to have Ryan Burr on tomorrow because Ryan Burr is the only one that makes sense when it comes to Anthony Richardson. Colts uh, writers losing their mind. Oh, he's great. Colts daughters just named him, Anthony Richardson, as a starting quarterback for the Colts. I'm not mad about it. You got to start, Anthony Richardson. Where are you going to start? Gardner Minshew? Uh, What are you going to do? I don't know. Can't start Gardner Minshew. No, I I refuse to allow it. I was looking at my phone. Guys, like, how can you start Anthony Richardson? How do you not start Anthony Richardson? the hell's going on? Hey, uh, Representative Kylie is urging workers in San Francisco uh, not to go to work. Not because of COVID. No. No, he is urging folks not to go to work. Why, you ask? Too dangerous. Crime. Too much crime in the streets. So don't go to work. Now, I don't understand the world that we live in. We don't want police. We don't want jails. What do we want? We want lawlessness so that people can't even go to work? You can't even go to work in San Francisco. That's how big a dump the place is. That represented, though, it's your district. How about you get off your backside and, oh, I don't know, 
you clean it up. You know, here's the other issue, and I'm ready to take a bunch of crap for this. I'm ready for all of you to come at me. You ready? Suicide, particularly among teenagers, is up. You want to know one of the reasons? I'm not saying all of the reasons, but one of the reasons is we allow teenagers to do anything they want. There's no discipline in our schools. There's no discipline in our homes. Fathers are absent. Mothers are weak. Dads are weak. Teachers are weak. Principals are weak. School boards are weak. Media's weak. Everyone feels sorry for them, and that's not good for kids. Tough love is a good love. Responsibility is good. Accountability is good. And we sit here and we hem and haw around all this crap, and then we say, well, suicide's because of COVID. No, it's not. No, it's not. I don't give a damn. I said this way before COVID. Suicides among teenagers in particular are going to rise until we start having account of frickability. Period. I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I, I don't care whether you believe me or not. I don't care whether you write an incense and I'm insensitive in an article. I don't care about anything that you want to say. When you let kids, and every adult knows this, when you let kids do whatever it is that they want, it is not good for them. It may make them happy, and the little fat woman and the little fat guy who can't control their kids, may call, and they call their kid, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, no, you ain't my buddy. You're my son. Period. And I'm tired of all this crap. I'm tired of people being afraid to say what's real. And what is real is not having any accountability anywhere, whether it's the home or the school. Hell, even the church is bad for teenagers. Everybody wants responsible people above them. Everybody needs direction. And when you think you're helping your little buddy, by not disciplining him when he's a pain in the ass, you're wrong. I've raised kids. I had two great parents. I was lucky. My kids are lucky that they had me and their mother and their stepmother. Very, very lucky. Hell, my stepkids are lucky they had me and their father. Lee's kids raised a, Lee's and her husband raised two great kids. But hell, I could have been a bad influence. No. No, 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 uh-uh, no. Start having discipline in your kids and you'll find a happier kid. Yeah, they may be sad for a moment and they may whine at you for a minute. It's not the end of the world. You're the parent, damn it. Guys make me nuts. Guys make me absolutely insane. All right, tomorrow, I don't know what we got, but it'll be good. It's always good. Something happened with the YouTube I'm hearing? I don't know. It is what it is. Go read it. Go listen to Oliver Anthony's music. It's fantastic. Go get yourself a little try this in a small town. It's fantastic. Go out and try to be called some kind of phobic today. It's a fun deal. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.